It's May 1st, 2023, and this is the Watson Weekly, your essential e-commerce digest. Today on our show, Bed Bath & Beyond bankruptcy, UPS Q1 earning call results, Amazon's new anti-counterfeit exchange, Shopify announces a new bill pay service, and finally... The Investor Minute, which contains seven items this week from the world of venture capital, acquisitions, and IPOs. But first, in our shopping cart full of news, Bed Bath & Beyond files for bankruptcy. It looks like the inevitable has finally happened. Bed Bath & Beyond has filed for bankruptcy. Here we have a tale of a group of activist investors who wanted to take over a company and found out that operating a company isn't as easy as it looks. CEO Mark Tritton's turnaround was doomed from the beginning. First, the investors were focused on bringing in the right management team to execute a specific strategy, private label brands, rather than learning how to reinvent the firm without shocking the system. Incidentally, I almost consider the fact that company's Bye Bye Baby brand was never part of the reinvention plan to be criminal negligence. Next, management never experimented enough to build a scalable concept which could then be used to retrofit the rest of their store fleet. They came in with the answer already filled in by investors. Share buybacks likely didn't help them either. A Yahoo News report mentioned that $11.7 billion in cash was spent to buy back the company's own stock. Talk about manipulation and paying yourself bonuses. Think they missed that $11.7 billion now? Vendors were only owned about $17 million, for example. Smells like a lawsuit. Of course, even prior to the pandemic, it was probably too late for its online business when new leadership took over. You're not going to compete with Amazon, Walmart, and Target, which are all much stronger than they were 10 years ago. Which means for online profitability work, you need to leverage your stores. Investors would never give them the time to execute on this. Plenty of experts marveled at Mark Tritton's team of retail Avengers, and indeed it would have been a remarkable feat to pull off, but there's a reason that turnarounds are so difficult. Finally, the number one reason I didn't ever think this turnaround was going to work was simple, humility. I listened to plenty of interviews with the management team and never heard one simple admission. We're not sure who the best customer segment is to focus on. That's job one. Once we discover that, we will ramp up our resource investments. If I had heard that, I would have known the team was willing to tell the investors it was wrong in its thesis and was going to find its own path to success. Instead, what we have here is just another example of using other people's money to fund a boondoggle adventure, proving it isn't just venture capital that can waste time and resources chasing a bad concept. If you're wondering what I would have done in this situation, it's pretty simple. I think Bed Bath & Beyond neglected to realize that the home category didn't need a retail store-based category killer with the rise of Amazon online anyway. I would have gone in between Bed Bath & Beyond and Bye Bye Baby. How's this name for you? Bed Bath & Baby. Between these two assets, you can make one great retailer if you narrow the focus. How many of you realize that Bed Bath was still operating a brand called Christmas Tree Shops? I would shut down all these ancillary brands like Harmon Face Value and Cost Plus World Market. As far as a customer focus, to me the key is to focus on the needs of growing families above all. These consumers value convenience, time savings, trust, and curation. If you can't service these needs as a store retailer, you don't deserve to exist. Bed Bath should have skipped the cheap college student market altogether because you can't out-cheap the discounters and trying to serve them ruins the brand for everyone else. If the company would have shrunk down to fit this concept, I think it would have had a chance. 
Our second story. UPS 2023 earnings outlook shows conservative planning the only choice in this market. The first earnings of 2023 are upon us, and they do not seem great for e-commerce and supply chain. First, the good news. UPS had a solid forecast range for 2023, a bull case with flat average daily volumes and a bear case with approximately 5% average daily volume declines forecasted. Now the bad news. It's the bears that have it, and the company's guidance for 2023 has reaffirmed the more negative outlook for the year is the one that investors should go with. As supply chain watchers know, it's a volume business. Declining volumes provide less operating leverage to clear the fixed costs of running the business, meaning you lose operating margin just by watching volume decline. UPS appears to be in the mode of, let's not dismantle most of what we have, which reminds me more of Target's approach right now. Both firms are not going to make any rash actions in the face of economic softness. FedEx is taking a different approach because it's been slow to transform. And it's turning out that 2023 is actually not a bad year to transform its network into something that better meets the needs of the market. As far as the numbers, the company achieved a $22.9 billion in revenue, down 6% year over year in Q1. That doesn't sound so bad until you learn that consolidating operating profit was down 21.8% year over year to $2.5 billion. Profit declining faster than revenue is the opposite of what you want to see. Remember Walmart's earnings? Profit rising faster than revenue. That's the formula for 2023. The U.S. domestic business revenue was slightly off, down 0.9% year over year with a 9.8% net operating margin compared to 11% last year at this time. This revenue reduction was driven by a 5.4% decrease in average daily volume, which was nearly offset by a 4.8% increase in revenue per piece. For 2023, UPS expects full-year revenue guidance to be at the low end of its previous guidance. 2023 full-year financial targets are as follows. Consolidating revenue of $97 billion, consolidating operating margin of around 12.8%, and capital expenditures of approximately $5.3 billion. Look, UPS is still a profitable business. Its approach is solid and the company can afford to wait it out. That doesn't describe many other companies that took too much free money in the last few years, however. Control what you can control is a good motto, as long as things don't stay like this indefinitely. Our third story. Amazon anti-counterfeiting exchange necessary but not sufficient. Since there were marketplaces... There have been counterfeiters and thieves trying to make a quick buck from them due to the liquidity that they enable. Recently, Amazon launched an anti-counterfeiting exchange, ACX, in order to help share information between brands, retailers, and distributors on counterfeiters acting in the marketplace across multiple players. The hope is that through coordinated information sharing, more patterns can emerge and counterfeit actors that might have been in the shadows before can be taken down more quickly. Look, anyone who's sold on Amazon for more than five minutes realized that there is counterfeit, fraud, and stolen merchandise in every single category. In fairness, Amazon does take things down, but it can be extremely painful at best and too little too late at worst. There are also times when Amazon can't win for losing because a competitor reports you as counterfeit and a legitimate business gets taken down. False positives can be almost as bad as false negatives. Ultimately, retail theft and counterfeiting is not new. That said, with the ease and automation of online, it's turbocharged. An endless game of whack-a-mole where there are millions of fraudsters and only the algorithms to learn patterns to keep up. Obviously, humans play a role, but there's only so much they can do at the scale we're at today. The cynical read on the situation says that Amazon got the memo when the Department of Homeland Security said in 2020 
that private industry needs to do more about counterfeiters. Better to get ahead of the federal government targeting Amazon in its crosshairs for enabling counterfeiters without established leadership in industry-wide information sharing. Although it follows the launch of the Counterfeit Crimes Unit at Amazon in the past few years, Amazon does these programs to get ahead of legal and PR narrative, no question. The more positive reasons, what else are we going to do? Better to eliminate the information silos than not, and the industry could use a place to start, and information will help Amazon. This exchange is kind of the 2.0 version of the Counterfeit Crimes Unit and reads to me almost like a tipster line for the unit as well. How do we get faster at this? More data, more inputs, better pattern matching, and better results. Every brand has a reason to partner with Amazon on this program simply because Amazon is the most liquid market. Your goods will end up there, period. From a brand owner point of view, here's hoping this is helpful. And our last story, Shopify announces a bill pay service. Shopify, the company that uses its e-commerce platform as a hook for its payment and financial services, continues its march into financial services with the launch of a new bill pay service. It did not develop this service from scratch. It is actually partnering with third-party provider Melio. Incidentally, this is the same provider that Intuit is using for its bill pay service. Essentially, Shopify is reselling Melio services here and trying to make it easier for its merchants to pay their business bills directly in the Shopify administrator interface without leaving Shopify. The new bill pay service is integrated with Shopify's balance product, which gives merchants a bird's eye view of their finances and expenses. Is it just me or has Shopify been leaping into Intuit's territory recently? When was the last time you saw a press release around a new logistics capability? Yet we see Shopify rolling out all manner of financial products. Has Shopify forgotten it owns a fulfillment business? I understand it's easy to white-label third-party functionality, but this is not exactly innovation here. Shopify's trick will need to be how to unify all these various services into a whole which is actually greater value than the sum of its parts. How soon until Shopify launches an e-commerce-centric accounting application to compete head-on with QuickBooks? You can almost write the taglines now. Accounting is hard. Shopify makes it easy. Or accounting software isn't built for e-commerce. We fix that. Hey, Watsonians, this is Rick. Want to get my take on a burning question and have me answer in this podcast? You can start a topic on the RMW Commerce community and just ask. The community is full of e-commerce diehards just like you who are talking about important e-commerce issues. Just this last week, Miles Thomas and Vinny O'Brien were talking about WorldPay's access program for digital commerce. If you can help out with that, you might want to check that out. You can contribute to the conversation at community.rmwcommerce.com today. It's that time, friends, for our Investor Minute. We have seven items on the menu today. First, Birdseye raised a pre-seed round to help brands generate reviews and referrals faster. The pre-seed round is half a million dollars and the company is funded by Drive Capital. The company seems to have a wide range of marketing solutions and is going after primarily the small and medium-sized business market, which is a crowded marketing space. Second, e-commerce firm Boxed filed for bankruptcy. Well, Watsonians, this is the opposite of what we'd normally cover here in our Investor Minute. Box started in 2013 as a kind of mobile wholesale club, but without a membership. The company raised more than $350 million over its history and pivoted into more than one business model. It just seems to me the company never fully understood who its customers were. Third, L'Oreal acquired natural body care manufacturer Aesop for $2.5 billion. Aesop is a hot brand, and so this is probably going to be a good acquisition for L'Oreal. 
Aesop was founded in Australia and has made its way worldwide. It is traditionally focused on plant and vegan formulas for its beauty products, so it'll be interesting to see if that stays the same under the L'Oreal banner or if that expands. Fourth, robotics warehouse automation provider Covariant raised a $75 million Series C. The company supports picking for robots and warehouse applications. Some of these warehouse automation applications include robotic put walls from bins, induction from bins, kitting, and depalletizing. Fifth, Fanatic signs a deal to run the online stores of sports e-commerce firm EPI. Fanatics is a specialist in the sports e-commerce market, and as part of this deal, the company takes on running the online stores of AC Milan, Inter Milan, Fiorentina, and Bologna. Six, workflow automation software Jitterbit acquired no-code development platform Zooty. Jitterbit is a workflow automation tool that connects to various platforms like e-commerce, human resources, and ERP. Zooty allows Jitterbit to move from a space that requires heavier integration to one that can streamline integrations with a low or no-code tool. And finally, e-commerce software aggregator Stay Tuned raised $34 million in mostly debt. The company buys and owns different Shopify apps, and the funding is $9 million in venture capital and $24 million in debt that must be repaid. An aggregator taking on debt to run a software company is something I would worry about. That's all for this week. Till next time, Watsonians. Hi, I'm Rick Watson, CEO and founder of the RMW Commerce Consulting and host of the Watson Weekly Podcast, your essential e-commerce digest. Our production partner for the series is Citizen Racecar. The show is produced by Jose Baez, production manager, Gabriela Montaki. To hear new episodes of the show every Monday morning, subscribe now at rmwcommerce.com slash Watson Weekly and wherever you get your podcasts.